fandom, the podcast that proves no matter what fandom, you're not alone. I'm your host, Megan, and with me is Fern. Hi, I'm Fern. And Kate. Hey, I'm Kate. So this week we are entering the world of Avatar, The Last Airbender. Excited about this. So Avatar aired on the popular children's network Nickelodeon in February 2005 to July 2008 and inspired a second series, The Legend of Korra, which aired at later dates. Uh, it was created by Brian... I've already forgotten how to say that. Konietzo. Konietzo? Konietzo. Yes, we're sorry, Brian. We're, we're, we're murdering your name. And Michael Dante DiMartino had seven male directors and one female director over the lifetime of the series. Uh, Avatar is a critically acclaimed success, earning a 9.2 out of 10 on IMDb and a 9 out of 10 on TV.com and 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is... That's crazy, right? Completely unheard of. Yeah. Yes. So, compared to other popular shows of the time, such as, like, Ben 10 and Tom and Jerry Tales, both of which failed to score an added out of 10, you kind of can see how much head and shoulders above the rest of the group that Avatar kind of stands out. So, Avatar is a series that is set in a world where the nations are divided into the elements their people can control, which are earth, fire, air, and water. There is one person in the world who can control all four elements, and this person's called the Avatar. The Avatar maintains the balance of the elements and thus the world. Also has some like weird spirit world spirit mumbo world jumbo. Stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect of it too, which is kind of cool. Um, so the Avatar The Last Airbender follows Avatar Aang and his friends Sokka and Katara as they travel the nation trying to restore peace to ruined lands. And we watched all of it. Well, yes. a lot of it. I watched all of it. I watched all of it. I have also watched all of it. We <laughs> it watched so, all of it. It was so good. I couldn't not watch all right? of it. Well, once I, you start, yeah. I remember watching it as a kid and then getting to watch it again with Rick, who my husband, who had never watched it before, was so much fun because oh he was God. just like, yeah, he was just like, wait, wait, what's going to happen I'm not, <laughs> I'm not telling Richard, you. I'm not telling you. Watch the damn show. I got to watch it recently with all of my kids, which was oh. great because they were just 100% invested and now they play Avatar at home. Oh my gosh, that's adorable. Like they, they pick, you know, bending and then they give each other bending and then they go outside and they're like, and they're like, yeah, it's hilarious. So who's who? It's so great. Who's what? what? Uh, the My oldest is an earthbender. I can see it. The twin girls are waterbenders mm-hmm. and then the youngest is an airbender. <laughs> yep. Because, yeah. 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 <laughs> you guys know my kids. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's do first impressions. Just overall, how do you feel about this show as it stands in a feminist standpoint? How do you feel about this show? Like, how do you feel about it? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Is it are you somewhere in between? So overall, I think it's good for the time period where it was made. I think they could have done better, but overall, for being an early 2000s kids show, mm-hmm. it does a, re- a really good job of making uh, the women stand out as important roles in society and giving them powers along with the male characters. Do you think that it being a kids show hindered some of the progressive opportunities? Do you think they held back a little because they were like, this is a kids show and we kind of want to not go Yeah, and there? I think that, that goes back to also the time period when it was made mm-hmm. as well. Um, I think in the last 10 years we've made not huge leaps, but some leaps forward uh in that uh aspect of things but uh no i mean my girls absolutely love it and they want to be katara and they want to be tough and they you know and they want to go out and have bending and they're they're proud of that and they're confident and so in that aspect aces i love it what about you kate how did you feel overall about this show i 
love this show. And I'm going to love this show pretty much until the day I die. Like, it is just so good. Um, I do agree there are areas that we could have, it could have been better. But when you do look at the historical context of when it was, I say historical because I was, you know, 16. But, um, <laughs> you know. It's I, a baby. I was a baby. The uh, historical context of it, like, it was, it was still like light years ahead of a lot of its contemporaries at the time. Not so much now. Um, but there were certain topics that it just did not hold back on. There were some episodes I'm like, damn, they went hard. Mm -hmm. Like, oh God, (laughs) you know, like it was, I, I loved it and was impressed and like, didn't remember it as hardcore as it was in certain areas or even as progressive as it was in certain areas. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite things about this show, and I think this is a good jumping in point to our first femme fandom test uh, question topic um, is that so many of the characters that in any other um, show of that time period or even cartoon that you would watch now that would just be a dude um, were female and I thought that was so interesting to see so like uh, for instance the bounty hunter mm-hmm. that uh, Zuko employs to try to find Aang while he's chasing the avatar she's a chick and, like, in any other, you know, cartoon show or anything like that, that would just be a, a male character. And that would just be it. And not just a chick, but a badass chick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, she kicked ass and took names. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing, too, is, like, with the Avatar cycle, it could have just been guys' avatars. Like, there could have been never a female avatar. But there are so many female avatars when you look back at the progression of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Kiyoshi being one of the most awesome ones. Yes, yeah. <laughs> She's so badass. It's great. I think that was a, one of my other favorite things is that even though Avatar Roku... So, real quick, let's, let's talk oh, about yeah. how the Avatar... <laughs> so, uh, there is one avatar for the entire world, but the avatar cycles through their home nation being every each different element. Earth, fire, air, and water. Mm-hmm. So, Aang is the air yeah. avatar. So, the avatar right before him was Avatar Roku, who was from the fire nation. And that was another male avatar. Ma- uh, Aang is obviously a male avatar. But the avatar right before that was Kyoshi who was the Earth Avatar. And I thought it was so cool that even though Roku was the Avatar right before Aang, and they could have completely gotten away with all of Aang's interactions with other Avatars are just with Roku because that's his newest one and blah, blah, blah. They made it a point to specifically seek out Kyoshi in multiple different points in the series going to her island and meeting the Kyoshi warriors, and then the whole thing where, you know, she had killed this oppressive tyrant in her time, and, you know, talking about some dark themes here, uh, and all of that stuff, I thought that that was really good, that they specifically sought out the female avatar, even though it was a male avatar that we had currently, and a male avatar that we had right before that one. Right. So I thought that was really cool. Well, even, like, to go further into the into the series, even more towards the end of it, Aang makes it a point to, to consult with um, Kiyoshi in terms of how to handle the main conflict right. of the uh, the sh- entire show. Yeah. And specifically, is like, listen, I don't know what to do. And was kind of shook when she didn't give an answer she, he expected. No, yeah. Like, I <laughs> Her think answer he is of, hilarious. Yeah, I think it was kind mm-hmm. of like, a, oh, dad gave me an answer I didn't like, so I'm going to go ask mom and hope that she says yeah. I don't have to do the thing I don't want to do. But she was like... Uh, no. Do the thing. 
in in that scene, he also goes all the way back and gets the air avatar that's not him, but the other the one farther back, mm-hmm. and she was also a woman. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, as an avatar. So, and she gave him the same answer. Yeah, yeah, they um, all did. Yeah, they yeah. they all gave him the same answer. Yeah. And we're so we're gonna not talk about that just in no. case you haven't watched Avatar: The Last Airbender because we think you definitely should. Um, but that was a really interesting thing where he's sitting on the back of the lion turtle and talking to all these different people. Um, so let's talk about named female characters in here because there are quite a few. You know, we've got Katara, mm-hmm. who is Aang's main, uh, one of his main compatriots and then eventually his love interest later on. Actually, uh, watching it now as an adult, that love interest stuff started a lot earlier than I remembered it being when I watched it as a kid. Well, because it doesn't, it doesn't come out and it's not like every episode they focus on it. It's like, you know, this episode they show a little bit of it and then you don't see anything of that love story until like 10 episodes later and then they do a little bit more. So I, I like that slow buildup because they are, they're kids. Mm-hmm. Aang is 12. <laughs> yeah. Katara is 14. Like, so having in that slow build really plays into them being kids. Yeah, they're kids and it's not the entire purpose of their relationship. Yeah. Like, there are more important aspects to the two of them together as friends than just, oh, hey, look at this. Aang has a crush. Yeah. And, like, it's way more important that, you know, she helps him in his, his journey and helps him to learn what he needs to learn so he can take care of business. Yeah. yeah. I will say the thing that I like about Aang and Katara's relationship is while the show does fall into the trope of the main character who is a guy has to get the girl and it has to be his best friend and blah, 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 which is a trope and it's annoying and frustrating. The thing that I think that they did well with that is the slow build. It wasn't just, we met and now we're in love and the whole season is just going to be us being in love and our relationship and all that stuff. They didn't really get together. Like, there was even a whole episode where Katara's like, we can't be together right now. We can't have this conversation. We can't do this. There's other stuff going on. Like Kate said, there's other stuff going on that needs to be focused on and our relationship is not the thing right now. And I just thought that that slow build of we're friends and then there might be more and then there's not more and then there's... I thought that was a very good progression yeah. throughout the the series. Uh, another named character, speaking of love interests, we have Suki. Yes. One of the Kyoshi Warriors. The leader of the Kyoshi the, Warriors. The leader of the Kyoshi Warriors. Um, one of my favorite scenes in Avatar in general is the scene where they get ambushed by the Kyoshi Warriors and by Suki. And splitting off from talking about the female for characters for a second, Sokka, I think, has a very interesting progression. Because if you see Sokka, the very... So the, the this show, <laughs> the very first scene of the very first episode in this show is Katara going off on Sokka, who is her brother, on a feminist tirade about how if he wasn't into being such a man and girls can do just as much as guys can do and blah, blah, blah. So when you first meet Sokka, he's this very hard-headed, closed-minded, boys are better than girls and boys are warriors and girls are homemakers and that's just how it is. And then he meets Suki and the Kyoshi Warriors and the scene where they get captured by the Kyoshi Warriors and then he has to go and basically like beg them like please teach me how to be 
a warrior. I just thought yeah. that was so... Well, yeah. It was, it was really important for the yeah. show. It yeah. Was, yeah. And Sokka's character in general. Right. Because he gets he gets uh, all the uniform on, and he gets he gets the makeup on, mm-hmm. and, and they train him. And at, by the end of the episode, he is 100% behind their cause and women being warriors. Mm-hmm. And it changes his character for the rest of the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that continues to grow as well. And you see that. It becomes a lot less of, you know, well, men are warriors and more of... People are warriors. Yeah. People who want to be warriors and have it's, that warrior spirit are it's warriors. About, yeah, it's about the way you look at the world, not about, like, who you were born as. Right. You know, it's, a, it's really a nice... A nice thing to yeah. see. So some other uh, named female characters. What do you ladies got? Um, we got Toph. Toph. Toph is one of my favorites. I love Toph. She is great. She is an earthbender. Um, she is also blind. Um, and she comes from a very well-to-do family. And she is the blind bandit. Mm-hmm. And she kicks so much ass. She's great. She's sassy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things that I love about Toph is she is the show's very poignant look at ideals of society because she is supposed to be this very wealthy young lady and she is blind so she needs to be taken care of and we just have to hide her away and she has we just have to take care of her and do everything for her and then it turns out that she is the blind bandit so she is in this underground fighting ring and beating all of these other people and she grown ass Man. Oh yeah. yeah. And More like she man. doesn't need anybody's help and she is just like a rock star. Toph is just amazing. And she ends up being Aang's uh earthbending teacher. Yep. She is an incredibly powerful bender as well, if you think about yeah. it. Like well, she, she ends up pioneering a whole new style of bending. Mm-hmm. Um which will come into play more, even so, when we do talk about Korra. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's nuts, the stuff that she is capable of doing that no one else can do. And it's specifically because of the fact that she is blind. It makes her look at the world differently than everyone else does. Yeah. Um, I also really appreciate about Toph the fact that she is constantly reminding everyone, um, no, I can't see that. I'm blind. Yeah, they're like, look, it's over there. They're riding on the back of Abba. Look, look, the city. And she's like, mmm. Yeah, and her face. Yeah. yeah. Or even as blank is like, oh, guys, I see land. And then they're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. You know, like, I forgot about that just, scene. It's, I love that. Oh. She's not ashamed of it. She's just constantly kind of annoyed that people forget because it's such, you know, it's like, it's such Sokka. a thing for her. He held up like a wanted poster. Yes. And was like, do, like, you, see do you see this? And she's like, no. Oh yeah, she put her hand, she put in, her her hand in her face. <laughs> I think that this show does a really good job of using comedic relief at very important times. And I think that Toph is a very big part of that. Yes. Because yeah. um, it's not all just, you know, we have some really dark tones, like we said, in this in this show, and then you get those bits of comedic relief with Toph and Sokka and some of the other characters bouncing mm-hmm. off of each other. Yeah. Uh, Kate, you got another, another... Uh... So I have three. You have three! I have three. I have Azula, May, and Ty Lee. Oh. I love, I love my girls. They are mm, so crazy. So they are three... Um, Fire Nation women. Azula is, is uh, Zuko's sister, and she recruits her friends, Ty Lee, who is a... Basically, she finds her at a circus. 
And Tylee does like these flips and stuff and is capable of blocking chi. chi, which no longer allows people to bend. So she is able to stop bending in but people. For, for a brief amount of time. Right. Not forever, for a brief amount of time. Yeah, because there's another character in Korra that can do it forever. But we don't have to get into that right now. <laughs> right. So she can, she's able to stop bending for a small amount of time. And then May, who is just like a wicked shot with these these uh like daggers, dagger knife daggers and yeah she's hairpins yeah and they come out of nowhere she's yeah. got those big sleeves and she's just like Sheek. she reminds me of uh, of Diego from Umbrella Academy if you guys have watched yes that, mm-hmm. where he could just like throw things and like bend it's just it's nuts but um they are so crazy and so formidable there are plenty of opportunities in the show or chances in the show where they legit could have just ended the show right then and there if not for something lucky happening. Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, Azula is in like bonkers bender as well. You know, she's able to bend lightning, which is a pretty rare skill from mm-hmm. my understanding. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. I will say about Azula, uh, May, and Ty Lee, as much as they are these like badass women who could come in and they can fight the Avatar and they can win, they also know when to cut their losses, which I think is a really important trait for villains um, because these are the villains of the show. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, sometimes the female villain can turn into a trope. I think they steered away from that in this show. Yeah, I think they, they did, could, did a good job of staying on the other side um, of that trope, maybe just barely sometimes, but they did a good job of staying on the other side of that. But as much as they are these badass women that are like, we can beat the Avatar, we can do whatever we want, they also know when to cut their losses because there are many times where they're just like, we give up. Because they know. They yeah, know. They yeah. And they just leave because they know it's better to, like, survive today and come in to fight another day. Yeah. And then May ends up being Zuko's love interest. And I thought that was a very interesting storyline because there's a point in the story where... Zuko kind of wafers. He goes through this whole story arc of, you know, I've been banished from my country. I have to find the Avatar in order to restore my honor. Um, and then he, quote unquote, succeeds or everyone thinks he does. So he gets accepted back into the Fire Nation and he builds this relationship with May and starts this whole new life and then all of a sudden realizes he's this on the doesn't wrong. feel good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Realizes he's on the wrong side. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, will, um, I will say... Rick and I love those two's relationship. We've started saying, I don't hate you and I don't hate you too to each other because that's what they say. <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> it's really cute. It's hilarious. Uh, but I thought that was a that was also a very well thought out relationship arc because yeah. they built the building blocks for that in a lot of flashbacks where you see because uh, Azula, May, and Tylee have been friends since childhood. So they they build a lot of that in the fa- flashbacks, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other females that we need to we um, need to touch on? I don't know. There, there's a bunch of named female characters, but a lot of them are in like one or two episodes. So I don't know if I count them as like main characters, but they are named. And that's that's kind of nice it's not just like barmaid number three you know they have names but uh i think we could probably talk forever about uh all the named characters so i think maybe we should move on so one that would actually be in, i think important to talk mm. about though is Sokka's first girlfriend oh, oh. yes ua princess ua princess ua yeah um i think she's important to talk about because as much as she's only in a couple episodes she does factor into his story arc Pretty heavily. Right, but... A little bit. I don't know if it changed him as much as, like, uh, meeting and and hanging out with Suki, though. So what I think UA is a good example of is the question of, you know, do female characters in this world have storylines 
that aren't necessarily all wrapped up around a man. And I think there are definitely characters that do. I think Katara, while she is pretty attached to Aang, has her own thing going on. She learns bloodbending. She becomes a really powerful bender. She has her own aspects to her story. And her relationship with Aang is kind of more of a side piece for her than it is her main storyline. Which is nice to see. Which is very nice to see. I think same thing can be said about Toph. I think she kind of has her own thing going on and helping the Avatar is more of a catalyst for her own story arc and forgiving her parents for the way that they've treated her and finding that she can do things on her own um, because she always kind of harbored that insecurity of, well, maybe I'm wrong. Um, maybe I do need to be taken care of. Um, same thing with Suki. She goes and does her own thing when Sokka's not around. She doesn't just like sit around wringing her hands and waiting for Sokka to come back. Like she, you know, keeps fighting and joins the earthbending army and all this stuff. So I think Yue stands out as one of the very few female characters whose story arc completely revolves around the men that are around her, specifically Sokka and I. Yeah. Which is what I think is important about her. Because when you compare her to Suki, um, they are such polar opposites, no pun intended, um, with her being from the northern world, never mind. Um, <laughs> they're such opposites that um, it's it's important to to look at them both. And look at them in the in the lens of Sokka as well. Um, because Suki was super important to him learning how to function as not an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, yeah. And that. then mm-hmm. Yue was really important for him to come and understand emotions to a certain degree. He became a lot less emotionally stifled with the Northern Water Tribe than he was elsewhere. And a lot of that is Yue. I could see that. I never thought about it in that way. I think that part of Yue's storyline is also Sokka learning to let go of things and that he's not the protector of everyone um, and that he can't take that role. That, you know, that's not always the quote-unquote man's job is to protect everyone and that sometimes people have to be able to make their own decisions and do things that might cause a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, we should specify, though, that she doesn't die. No. <laughs> she becomes the moon. <laughs> That's rough, buddy. That's rough, buddy. <laughs> That's rough, buddy. Uh, that, you were talking, and I'm like, oh, it sounds like she died. <laughs> she doesn't die. No. <laughs> no. She becomes, she is the moon spirit, and she becomes the moon, uh, which is very important for the, the water tribe and water bending. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But yeah, yeah, the whole scene where he's got to let her go, and she's like floating up, and he's just like, oh, no. I'm like, oh, Poor Saga. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's an, an important thing to remember that no, she definitely fills that stereotypical all about a guy kind of thing. But realistically, she fills the uh, Northern Water Tribe's understanding of women in general, that they are basically just there as backup for men. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, not even backup. Like, they're only allowed to learn how to heal using waterbending. Right. So they're not even backup warriors. They're just. Oh, I'm there to heal. I'm at backup as in like, okay, you guys go fight. We'll be here. We're going to okay. hold down the fort and make sure no one, you know. Yeah, but still, I mean. This is dinner. <laughs> gotta cook. That's right. Yeah, but like in, in. Those baby's diapers need changed. Yeah. But yeah, they're not allowed to fight mm-hmm. is, is I guess where I'm, I'm thinking. Right. Um, well, and so. then there's the, the whole betrothal story. 
with mm. Yue. Um, and it also gets brought up with Master Paku, uh, who you find out was betrothed to Katara's grandmother. Yeah. So Yue, when she met Sokka, was betrothed. So in the Northern Water Tribe, you have this very... It's kind of old world. Oh, yeah, very old world view of women are property almost yeah. and you you are betrothed to who your family thinks that you should be married to and then Yue is twice over because she's also a princess so it's not only are you going to get married to who we tell you you're going to get married to but you're going to do it because it's what's best for the kingdom yeah so she's kind of got a one-two punch there of your property and your property that's only used in order to further our political agenda yeah so while I think UA's story does fall a little short of what we would hope for with a strong female character, I think that she has little glimpses of that in her storyline because, you know, she does sacrifice herself to become the moon spirit and, you know, save waterbending essentially. Yeah. Um, and the world because there was this whole yin and yang thing and you couldn't yeah. have the balance and all that kind of stuff. But also... She kind of defies her society and she pursues a relationship with Sokka. Maybe not to a boyfriend-girlfriend kind of outcome, even though that's what Sokka talks about it as. Um, but she pursues a very deep friendship with him and a very meaningful friendship with him, despite the fact that she's betrothed and it's very frowned upon in her society to be talking to another man when she's betrothed. Mm -hmm. yep. So talking about Northern Water, Water Tribe, Tribe yep. and their thoughts. And Master Paku. Let's go into Master Paku a little bit. Oh. So Aang obviously has to go across the world and he has to learn all of the different bending styles. And he's already mastered air bending. So the first thing he wants to try to do is water bending. And Katara teaches him pretty some much stuff. as much as she can. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. And she does really good. Mm -hmm. um, and then she decides, you know what? If you're going to look for a water bending teacher, I'm going to learn right along with you because why not? So they go to the Northern Water Tribe and they meet Master Paku and Paku accepts Aang right away. No questions. And then tells Katara she can't join him because... She's a girl. She's a girl. She has to go learn to just heal. Mm -hmm. And Katara's mad. <laughs> yeah. That's a great episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. man. Yeah. Those are some really good episodes. I remember when Rick was watching them, he was like, oh, you fucked up. <laughs> you <laughs> fucked up. That was a mistake. I think I think the, the people who uh, animated also did a really good job, like, getting those emotions across. Because when Master Paku says that, her face... Changes yeah. from, yay, I'm going to learn, to, oh, no, you didn't. And, like, yeah, mm -hmm. it's great. And then she spends some time, and, and I think this is a, a, a thing that a lot of women do when they come up against these walls, so I thought it was very interesting to see it portrayed in the show, is she spends some time trying to follow what the patriarchy says. So she goes to the water healing class and she tries to just be a good girl waterbender and just do what she's told. And then eventually she goes, fuck this, and decides that she's going to learn whether or not he wants her to. So she asks Aang to teach her what Aang is learning. And then when Paku finds out, he tells Aang that he won't teach him anymore. And then she has to make a hard decision. Does she swallow her pride and do what's best for Aang because that's what's going to be best for the world? Or does she stand up against this guy and this awful system that they've created and, you know, really make a change? And I think this is one of the few episodes where unfortunately the format kind of let it down a little bit because it is a kid's show and they yeah. wanted to wrap everything up in 30 minutes. So it kind of turns into this story of like, oh, well, Paku was engaged to her grandma and then she tells this whole story about how her 
grandma left because she didn't want to live in this repressive society. And then Paku gets sad because, oh, I lost the love of my life because of my ideals. And then he kind of changes his mind. Well, he doesn't necessarily change his mind until after she battles him and kicks his ass. That's true. And I want to point out again, she's 14. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Master Paku is... 50, 60? Yeah, like, he's older. an old dude. He's got, you know, the gray beard and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but yeah, this, she tells the story about her grand-grand and everything. And that happens. And then she kicks his ass. And then he's like, instantly, he changes his mind. Well, in real life, it wouldn't be instant. We all understand that. But it is a 30-minute kids show. So he kind of needed to like change it right then and there yeah um didn't he get on the boat and go back to the southern water yes, yes. to go find grand grand he mm-hmm. went to go find grand grand and yeah. at the end of the show they end up engaged again oh they, that's he ends right. up being her new grandpa yeah. at the end of the show they do the, they get married and they're all yes. happy family yeah. yes i think it's interesting also that like you find out throughout the, these episodes about grand grand's story and how grand grand is the one who raised katara so those ideals that that katara is standing up for and fighting for were from her grand grand who left to begin with like and how that was such a she got them so honestly in terms of being the way that she was raised and just she comes from a line of strong women who are willing to do what it takes to make sure that what needs to happen what's right to happen happens katara learning about her mother's sacrifice for her <sighs> kills me. Broke my oh, heart. Oh my goodness. I don't know how much we want to say about all those little points and things throughout the show, but But they're pretty great. Oh, they're pretty great. So female characters in this story, when you when you're watching them on screen, which characters would you say are proactive female characters? Which ones are going out there and making decisions without being prompted? Do we have some examples of that? I think Katara is Katara, one. yeah. Uh Toph does some Azula. Azula. Azula definitely Ooh. Um, is very proactive. I don't know if I would say May and Ty Lee, they kind of follow along with whatever Zula's doing. It, well, so, no, May ends up uh, going against yeah. Azula. And yeah, then that's does true. Well. And, and then, then Ty Lee, Lee does, does later. Yeah. But I will say you're right. For a lot of the show, I think they're they more reactive. Kind of they just kind of follow, follow Azula around. Yeah. Although it's better than them following like a dude. A dude. Yeah. Like, at least they're following around another strong female character. Who they follow because they're scared of her. Because she's terrifying. She is terrifying. But I think that that's an important thing to point out is we didn't make a villainous character who's just scary because she's overpowered or whatever. She's scary because that's who she is. She's fucking Down to her core, Azula is a very scary personality. Those last couple episodes when she has totally lost it and is fighting Zuko are terrifying. Like, absolutely terrifying. She's so powerful, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that descent into madness that we get to see. Yes. Is fucking bonkers. It's, yeah. Um, she's 100% a sociopath, and you get to see that end in a way that is just nuts. And I think that this show does a really good job laying the groundwork for that and not just taking a sharp left turn like some other shows I can think of. <coughs> Game of Thrones. <coughs> <laughs> Gonna throw that out there. Because they do a lot of the flashbacks where you see Zuko talking to his mom and Zuko's interactions with Azula. You see Ty Lee and May talking about what their childhood with Azula was like. You see all of those things. It's not just a like, oh, Azula is a, what, she's 16, I think, in the yeah, show? Something, like, something that. like that. Like middle teenage years there. And it's not just her going from like, I'm a normal but very scary teenager to like, I am crazy. You see 
as a kid. And you kind of see the thought process in her head of why she ended up where she was because she thinks that her mother hated her yeah. as a child because of her sociopathic tendencies. Well, and what's so interesting is you see that that entire thing with those flashbacks. I'm a big crime buff. I love learning about serial killers. You see a lot of those markers of serial killers in Azula mm-hmm. as a child. Um, you see her going after and trying to harm animals, which is a, a pretty uh, big red flag for that stuff. You see her using fear and manipulation as a way to control those around her. You see her doing these all these things and finding ways to get other people to do her dirty work or to take blame for shit that she's done. She is a certifiable sociopath. It's not, in, like you said, it's not something that just kind of comes out of left field. That just is who she is. And then you get to see all of that culminate in this absolute loss of reality. And just the incredible power that comes along with that as well in terms of her not having any inhibition in the way that she fights especially at like against her brother right she doesn't hold anything back nothing Mm -hmm. like you can tell zuko's holding back a little bit or missing on purpose because it's his sister and he's a good person at heart but like she does not hold back against him at all Mm -mm. uh and in that final battle she doesn't hold back against katara the only reason that they end up winning is because Katara incapacitates her. Yeah. That's the only way they end up winning is that Azula can't fight anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is a very telling part of her mentality. Even is, her not fighting was still fighting. Yes. By the way. Yes. She knows when to call it quits until she doesn't anymore. And then she's just gone. There yeah. is no getting her back. What about reactive characters? Do we have any female re- characters that are strictly reactive? Tylee. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But I think, and I think they go into that, though. I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with the character, like, that choice. But So there's a, an episode where they're on Ember Island, and they're out on the beach, and they're all kind of talking about their childhoods. And Ty Lee talks about how she's one of 16, I think she says. And her whole life, she kind of had to fight for attention. And she got tired of being part of a set. And so she ended up leaving and joining the circus because she wanted to be her own individual. But I think part of, you know, Tylee's reactiveness throughout the series is she doesn't know yet how to be herself. I don't think she had had time to figure that out before Azula came and pulled her into this world of fighting the Avatar. Yeah, and when they... when. Tylee and May break away from Azula, it's May who goes first. And then Tylee's like, oh, okay. I like what May's doing. I'm following what May's doing instead of Azula. Tylee um, is 100% a follower. And a lot of that is, I think, like you said, because of the way she was raised. It's not her fault, per se. It's something that I think she'd be able to break out of eventually, just not at the point that we see her at. She's constantly looking for that stronger person, that person who can kind of protect her, because she's always had that, you know? She doesn't just go off and do her own thing. She goes off and joins a circus where, you know, she can have someone to have her back and protect her and just do what needs to be done. You know, and she doesn't have to be on her own. She is very reactive. Not necessarily bad, but, but definitely but reactive. Definitely reactive. Uh, I think another character uh, that plays a pretty small role in the series is Smellerby. Uh, so <laughs> Smellerby oh. is one of Jet's compatriots, rogues. Uh, rogue, yeah, yeah like, uh. Uh, so Jet is someone that the group meets in the Earth Kingdom. 
He is a rebel fighter fighting against the Fire Nation because the Earth Kingdom is the only kingdom that hasn't fallen to the Fire Nation yet. And Jet is kind of doing whatever he can in order to fuck things up for the Fire Nation as much as possible. And he ends up almost drowning people in a village. And Smellerby and... The Duke. The Duke. Just kind of go along with it. But yeah, and then you find Smellerby again when you get to, I think, Ba Sing Se? Uh, yeah, they run across Smellerby and the Duke in Ba Sing Se. Yeah. Uh, and Smellerby again is just kind of following Jet and the Duke around. It's not the Duke, it's, um... Oh, you're right. The Duke doesn't go to Ba Sing Se. The Duke goes with Pipsqueak. The Duke goes with Pipsqueak. Oh, that's right. The Duke and Pipsqueak end up helping the Avatar. the Duke and Pipsqueak. So the Archer... Who is that guy? ...is the one. We're gonna Google it. Yeah, but let's keep talking while we Google. Um, so, you know, Smellerby is, again, one of those characters that is just kind of following around... She gets a little bit of her own thing when Jet becomes mind-controlled and she has to try to break him out of it. But again, she's doing it for the for guy. guy. Yeah. Long shot. Long, long shot. shot. So it's Smellerby and Long Shot that are in bossing, say, with Jet. Jet ends up getting brainwashed and then Smellerby and Long Shot have to get him out of it. Very reactive character. Didn't... But again... But she's in like... She's in three episodes. Three or four episodes? Yeah. yeah. We're nitpicking. Yeah. Like, uh, really, when you're thinking about reactive characters, you've got Tylee, you've got Smeller B, you got UA, which I think we've talked kind of ad nauseum yeah. about UA. Um, and that's... Eh, the yeah. woman who teaches Katara bloodbending was pretty reactive. And her reaction turned mm. into being proactive. See, I thought that she was extremely proactive because yeah, she, she had to do a lot of manipulation in order to get Katara where she wanted Katara to be and all that stuff. Yeah, and her plan with that town, the town that she was kind of doing everything with and stealing all the people and like that was very much who she was she was doing that she wasn't reacting that's fair but i think the plan and the proaction and all of that stuff was a reaction to what had happened to her that's from true. the fire nation attack and yeah. all that that's stuff. what i was thinking of more was but just I, the root of that she just in yes. her core is a reactive individual but it comes across as, as pro proactive. yeah i can yeah. definitely see where okay. you're coming from from that yeah. so you know, we've talked a lot about how much we love this, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to listen to a message from some of our friends on some other podcasts here on our network, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some things that maybe Avatar didn't do as well as we would hope. Hey, Mike. Yeah, Zeke. I got a question. Sure. How many cat women actresses were there on the Adam West Batman TV show? Uh, there's three. Okay. And how many Superman movies have there been? Well, there was the four originals in the 80s, and then, then there was the Brandon Routh one, and then there's the two of the current Superverse that we're doing. Okay. Hey, Mike. Yeah, Zeke. What's a good podcast where I can find a lot of answers to these questions that I have? That answer I know real easy. That's Geek Through Time. Join me and Zeke as we each week go through a different topic, go through the timeline and talk about all the things that will lead us to where we are today. So join us at Geek Through Time. Let's talk a little bit. We've we've talked a lot about how much we love this show and how good it is at representation and all that fun stuff, which I think is true. But I think there is also room for improvement. And one of the episodes that stood out to me very poignantly, I believe this is, yeah, it's episode uh, 14. I don't remember what book it was in. I think it's book two. Is it book two? it's Earth Kingdom. It's the Earth Kingdom yeah. book. So, uh, no? Is it season one? 
Oh, wow, it's season one. All right. Yeah. We're going way back in the time machine here. Oh, that's a different podcast. Sorry, Geeks Through Time. Uh, let's 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 look at that. Let's set the scene here a little bit. So we are going into this earthbending uh, village. There is a uh, oracle there. Fortune t- they call her a fortune teller, Fortune teller. Yeah. Uh, what, what did you say her name was? Aunt Wu. Aunt Wu. And Aunt Wu has kind of an apprentice, I guess would be the best way to call her. And her name is yeah. Meng. And Meng has been given the fortune that she will marry a man with big ears. And so when she meets Aang... Who has big ears because he's bald and they stick out a little bit. Right. She immediately thinks, this is the man I'm going to marry. And then cue an entire episode of Meng and Katara squabbling and catfighting and using slurs like hussy. And it just was an episode that did not sit well with me. Right. The actual storyline of that episode is a good one. I thought it was really interesting. It was Aang thinking outside of the box in order to solve a problem, but I felt like this particular subplot for me was a real detriment to the show. Yeah, they could have done something different with that. Yeah, she chases him around that whole village, and he tries to avoid her, and... Well, and then he spends time making Katara jealous by hanging out with all these other girls in the village (sighs) who thought that he was just the greatest. And it was just... It seemed like one of the very few episodes, and maybe the only episode, the only one that I, I got in my notes, at least. There were other instances, but this was the only full episode, where I think they boiled some of the characters down to their worst traits, almost, and just kind of really turned these ladies into stereotypical females that you would see in a movie where they're catty and they're all about the guy and that's it and there's nothing else going on. Even the ending where Mang is like, you don't like me the way that I like you, do you? And like, it was a touching scene because it was Aang learning how to deal with people that he couldn't meet their expectations. But at the same time, it was... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. After everything that had gone on, it just kind of seemed like a poor excuse for the rest of the episode. Well, even... Meng's last line in that episode was calling Katara a name. They were flying off and Meng was all like, go do what you need to do and like acting all supportive and then under her breath calls Katara a name. I don't remember which one at this point, but it's like, that was unnecessary. I get the comedic timing of it, but you could have done that differently. It didn't have to be done that way. Yeah. I really felt like when you're talking about you know, whether or not shows portray females as very stereotypical. This is one of the big ones that pops into my mind specifically for Avatar. And I don't think there are many many other than that. I think they do, like I said, they do have some moments where some of the characters, they kind of really point at that one stereotypical catty or jealous or overly emotional or whatever trait, like the play where they portray Katara as this... That is one Just, of my favorite episodes. It is a very funny episode. Um, <laughs> you know, but I think they do that sometimes. But overall, I think this was the one episode that I can point to that I'm like, yeah. I'm very disappointed about the decisions that they decided to make in this episode. Fern brought up a really good point off mic about these kinds of things weren't necessarily seen as anti-feminist yet or anti-women yet. It wasn't seen as a trope or a, you know, that wasn't the conversation in that time period. And I think as we go through this, you know, we kind of have to decide, do you forgive that? 
Do you look at a piece of media because of the time frame it was built in and forgive those things? I don't know if you have to forgive, but you just have to be aware. Mm -hmm. You have to be like, oh, this was early 2000s. This type of view on women and girls was just starting to get the ball rolling, really. So they did a really great job. And to give them the leeway of that couple of instances where you, you know, you raise an eyebrow, I think is okay. And I think you have to take that with all media, too. I think forgiving and making excuses are two different things. I think you can forgive it in that you can be like, okay, I understand why this happened. Doesn't make it okay that it happened, but I get it um, and forgive it in that way. And making excuses is like, oh, but it's fine because. And as soon as you start saying it's fine because, that's when you're making excuses and that's no longer okay. No, I'm not saying it's it's fine. I'm well, just saying, you I know. Wasn't saying oh, I know, I know. I'm just saying, you know, like you, you just be aware of mm-hmm. the time period things are made, and then what the views were then. Because mm-hmm. um, if you take something from the 50s or the 60s, <laughs> uh, it's it's rough. It's rough. We'll have to talk about uh, beginning Wonder Woman sometime. Oh. Some of those things, but another time. <laughs> another time, another podcast. Yeah. I do want to say, um, as much as this episode did disappoint me, this is a very nuanced view of feminism. I think we didn't really get to this point where we realized that this kind of conversations being portrayed in media kind of fed into some of the... More yucky stereotypes. More yucky stereotypes that are around women and more yucky perceptions that we, we were yeah. kind of like, we have to act this way. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people started thinking about that until much later on. So I think that's another thing to point out is that this isn't like a glaring, like girls can't be warriors because they're girls and then just leaving it at that. Because there are things that do that and that's just it. Um, Or they don't have that conversation and the girls just aren't warriors and it's never really talked about why. This isn't that thing. This is a very nuanced like, oh, girls are catty. And so we're gonna have this cute little episode where they're catty to each other. And it's kind of a more nuanced and I'm using nuanced a lot. I'm trying to come up with a synonym and it's not working. But I think it's it's a lot easier to have happened if that makes any sense. it's a lot less of a big glaring in your face kind of issue. I almost think that makes it more dangerous in some situations though mm-hmm. because it sneaks under the radar. You know it's it's very covert. You yeah. don't see it. Well because it, it, it's portrayed really too as like comedic. Mm-hmm. As a, like a comedy thing. And you're, yes. And you laugh at some of those points where you're like ah that was kind of funny. Like you know but it does. It flies under the radar because you know you don't see it right mm-hmm. away. And I think that's something that we all need to be very aware of when we're, we're looking at these types of media from a feminist perspective. So speaking of being from a feminist perspective, let's be from an intersectional feminist perspective here. Let's talk a little bit about other types of representation in this show in particular. So let's start off with LGBTQ plus representation. Unfortunately, I don't think Avatar has anything. I do um, that I can remember. Yeah. Um, I was talking to my husband and we were like, we're, we're like, almost like 50% sure there was something where there was two females or two males with like some kids and it was kind of in the background. But like, even if it was, it didn't do anything. Like there was nothing if it's there and feel free if somebody out there finds something great, message us. Hit us up on Twitter. Tweet us. Yeah. Tweet us. Tweet it. Tweet it. Tweet it. (laughs) 
yeah, I yeah, I sadly agree. Yeah. There was no representation for the LGBTQ um, plus. I did read online that somebody was arguing the point that Sozin and Roku had a like a thing because they were such good friends, but I think they were just friends. Because yeah. they both end up with wives, mm-hmm. but like And while that like, and we're not saying that because you <laughs> end up with a wife that doesn't mean that you're That's true. Yes. But Thank you. I, I didn't mean that. No, I and I know you didn't. Yeah. Uh, but I agree with you. I think that's a stretch. I think that's people yeah. trying to make something out of yeah. nothing. I think that's the J.K. Rowling syndrome, <laughs> where we go back and we pretend that all the characters yeah. were LGBTQ plus, and but we didn't actually write it into the story in the first place. I think that's people wanting something wanting, to be there. And they're looking for something. And they're looking for something. Yeah. I will say, we'll, when we'll we'll talk about Cora in a later episode, but it gets a little better. Mm-hmm. A little bit. A little bit better. A little bit. A little bit better, but I have feelings on that, so we'll discuss feelings on that when we do our Cora episode. So let's talk about other types of representation here. Do we have um, uh, people of color? Well, here's the thing: is the whole show is very based on Asian cultures mm-hmm. um, and different uh, things like that. But all of the characters are very whitewashed. There's nobody re- like really dark skin. Mm-hmm. I do agree with that. So, but I will say, and I only say this because of the Avatar movie that came out. So, for those of you that don't know, there's a live action Avatar: The Last Airbender movie. Do not go see it. it. It is so bad. It's not worth your time. It is so bad. But after seeing the actors that were cast in those, and they were white, like yeah. straight up white. There's no question to it. They were white. They didn't fit the characters on the screen because Aang had much more Asian features, I think, and Katara and Sokka had darker skin. And I do agree with you. There's no one with very dark skin. There's no one pronouncedly... I think they just didn't... It wasn't a thing that was addressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, 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 like, at all. I think what they... They tried to allude to race using the four nations instead of having it be a skin color or a facial feature or anything like that. It was talking about racial nuances through being a fire nation or an earth yeah. nation or a you the know, place whatever. you were born and not how you look. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they touched on those things using the four nations but they just it just wasn't represented in you, you know it, it's the way that people say you, you if you were a person of color you wouldn't be able to look at the screen and necessarily go oh that character looks like me yeah um but that character might act like people in your family or like you because of the way they interact with other things going on there are so. bits and pieces of culture that were not white yeah oh yeah yeah which oh, was most, nice yeah, most mm, of it, yeah a nice change yeah it was very heavily no, Asian influenced. Asian inspired, yeah. Um, I think there was a lot of Chinese and Japanese lore in there, and people can correct me because I'm not well versed in those things. Not my forte. So if I'm wrong, please correct me. But I think that's where the the inspiration for these things are drawn from. I will. I will want to point out that um, each of the fighting styles for each of the bending are actually based on real fighting styles from those different cultures. Oh, that's cool. So you can I didn't go. Know that. You can go and learn those fighting styles and quote unquote learn earth bending if you learn that fighting neat. style. Which my ten year old is one hundred percent behind and now wants to learn these specific fighting styles. That's really cool. <laughs> I did not know that. That is so neat. So we also want to talk about if there is any representation of people who are differently abled in this show. And I gotta say, 
They do a pretty good job. There's two that stick out. Uh, Toph, obviously, because she's blind. Um, and then there's Tio. Um, he shows up in two or three episodes, and he's in a wheelchair. And mm-hmm. they point it out at one point, and he's just like, well, yeah, but I can still uh, fly because they're at the air temple, and he flies with a glider. Um, and they just, all the characters are just like, okay. And they just kind of accept him as, as he is, and he just is one of the characters. More than that, Aang even tells him that he has the spirit of an airbender. He's the only other person that Aang sees as an actual airbender because of that freedom and that the feel that he has and the love and joy that he has when he's in the air. I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. He does do that. It's so cool. Yeah, Yeah, I... Tio is a fun character. I love Tio. I really like Tio. He's super smart. The fact that he's in a wheelchair really does not... It doesn't change his character at all. No, not at all. It, it, it's not that trope of my wheelchair defines me and blah, blah, blah. And it's But but it's also not glossed over. Like, they yeah. have a... It's one of the first things they talk about. They have a conversation about it when they meet him. They're like, well, hey, what is up? this? Yeah, what's up with this? Um, well, because you also have to remember that in this time frame, modern, like, technology is not necessarily a thing. There are some, you know, motorized, they're not even motorized, they're run on steam and like fire bending and earth bending and water bending and stuff. So they hadn't seen a wheelchair before, let alone thought about the fact that you could use it for someone who couldn't walk. Right. Um, so I thought that was really, really good. And obviously Toph. And Toph. Toph is amazing. I We could go on and on and on about how great Toph is. I love her whole attitude. I love that, you know, she f- sees through her feet, as she says, multiple times. I love, I just love everything about Toph. Toph is just fantastic. Do we have any uh, any people who are not physically differently abled? So people with uh, non-neurotypical people, is that what you're talking yeah. about? Um, I, I don't I think you could make a case for Azula having some sort of either bipolar or depression. I think you can make a case for Zuko having depression, but there's nothing explicitly stated. I think Azula would actually probably be more schizophrenic. I could see mm. schizophrenic as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't think definitely. they make any mention of any mental things going on with any of the No, characters. I don't think so. And I don't think they come across anybody in their travels yeah. specifically. Boomy's a little off. <laughs> <laughs> Boomy's just odd. Rip's over here giggling in the background. Boomy, I don't think, I think Boomy, that is just him. I think he's one of those characters that you want, he wants you to think that he's not, that there's something going on and he's not all there and, you know, all that stuff. But really, he's super smart and very just, he just looks at the world in a very different way than other people do. I guess that's what I was He's kind of kooky. He's, I think he's like... And I mean, he might be stretching and looking for something that's not there. But, I mean, he kind of reminds me of that that um, genius savant type I could see potentially like ADD or ADHD yeah. or something like that. But again, all of this is us looking at character personalities yeah. and speculating because there is, you're right, there is no... Specifically um, stated anything. Yeah, pretty nature. much everybody is neurotypical in the show, so... Which is a bummer. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, but I think that they do a good job of, of portraying differently abled people because they do have two characters that are in the fight, in the action, not just background, who do things that are different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fantastic. That's it for this episode of Fem Fandom. Our editor is Kate. Our production assistants are Christina and Mike. Our producer is Zeke. 
You can check out more awesome content at basementgeekinc.com. Have a topic idea or want to get in touch with us, you can email us at femfandompod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please, please, please leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice, especially now being a new podcast just starting out. Those ratings are really going to mean a lot to us. And if you leave one, you might even hear your name or your review on a future episode. I'm not against that idea. So leave us a review. Uh, if you want to follow us, we're on Twitter at FemFandom or at Basement Geek Inc. I'm at Callie Rome. I, Kate, am at Geekery and Coffee. And I, Fern, started a Twitter this week, so I'm at Fern Fandom. We're so proud of Fern. <laughs> Until next time, remember, no matter what the fandom, you're not alone. Yeah.